Today's Plugged In podcast is sponsored by Volvo Cars Canada. The Volvo XC40 Recharge is Volvo's first pure electric SUV. It's a powerful drive with no tailpipe emissions featuring more than 400 horsepower and up to 335 kilometers on a single charge. And the integrated Google OS will always keep you fully connected, even without your phone. It truly is an SUV designed for the city and the rest of the planet. Visit volvocars.ca to learn more. Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. Since humankind first started driving self-propelled vehicles, seeing how fast they could go, and how far, has become an obsession of racers and adventurers alike. And now with electric vehicles, that trend continues. On last week's show, we heard about how racing enthusiasts are turning road-going EVs into racetrack machines. This week, our guest has made a global name for himself as an electric vehicle adventurer. Chris Ramsey is a Scotsman with a wanderlust that, when combined with his passion for sustainable mobility solutions and renewable energy, has resulted in some truly epic road trips. In 2017, he drove his modified Nissan Leaf from the UK to Mongolia, covering some 16,000 kilometers of emission-free motoring. He drove a BMW i3 from Edinburgh to Monte Carlo and back in just 60 hours, and he holds a Guinness Book of World Records mark for the greatest distance covered on an electric bike in 12 hours, beating the previous record of 108.16 kilometers with a distance of 286.16 kilometers. Well, thanks for joining us today, Chris, all the way from Aberdeen, Scotland. How are things? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. I'm really looking forward to chatting and things are nice and sunny here, which is not normally we, we get a chance to say in Scotland. Before we get to the great adventures you've been on and what you're planning, I wanted to know what was the first EV you ever drove and your impression of it at the time. The first EV I ever drove was actually the one I went on to buy, which was basically the Nissan Leaf 24 kilowatt hour Tecna model. And that was actually basically when I actually did my very first adventure as well. Um, after a bit of research so yeah that was my first car and literally after that weekend road trip i went and bought one um, because i was so taken by it and basically at that time the technology around electric vehicles so what was it about it i mean obviously you love the technology there's a uh, zero emission aspect to it but in terms of the drivability of the vehicle what really impressed you i think it's fair to say nissan leaf is not a, not a performance vehicle and um but in in terms of that when i first got hold of the vehicle the idea behind it was literally I discovered electric vehicles through an advertisement on my computer and I thought, electric cars, what's this all about? So I, I got the got the loan from a dealer and decided to do a road trip around the UK. And I wanted to learn about the infrastructure, the charging infrastructure, how the car charged, how long it charged, how long it was taken to go on a charge, um, and all the general questions that people still have today. So I went out and drove the car and, and when I was driving it, I just, I think for me, I just realized that this isn't as difficult as what everybody thinks it is. And I thought to myself, this is not as bad as what I kind of pen- I kind of perceived that this journey was going to be. I'm sure charging infrastructure was an issue at that time, but the car itself performed brilliantly. The car itself was, was smooth. What I found, probably one of the best things was it, that the, the drive was just 
so much more relaxing. And, and being a petrolhead, even at that time, I still, like, you know, still consider myself in that way as well. But going up and down gears, changing down gears to, to prepare for bends and, and prepare for junctions and turn in and all this stuff, not having to do that and just sit there and relax and just touch an accelerator pedal and then come off the accelerator pedal if you want to brake a bit because the regen braking on the car takes over for you. It's so much more of a comfortable journey and so much more of a, a stre- like a stressless journey, I would say. You know, it's interesting to say that your first experience w- was to go on a road trip. I mean, is this in your blood? I mean, why are you wired that way that you just don't want to go around the block with this thing? You want to drive all over the place. I, I guess it, it must be. I think that I, I used to think that it wasn't. I wasn't think, I did, used to think that, that I wasn't wired that way, as you put it. But I think I've realized as time's gone on that I am. And I think I think to find the best way to learn about something is just to put it through its paces, to understand it the best is you're basically putting it to its limit and testing what it can and can't actually do. And then you figure out if that is actually suitable for you or not. So I think whenever I approach something, I think I literally always, I think I always look at the, the grandest thing that I can do to put that to its limit. So I, I would say, yes, it's definitely, I think I've proven over the years it's definitely in my blood, I think. And it's interesting that you do it though in an electric vehicle, because obviously the, I mean, I want to say the, the single complaint about an electric vehicle is that, you know, you can only go so far and then you're going to have to wait. I mean, on a good day, 20 minutes, but on a bad day, maybe four hours to, to charge the thing. So, I mean, that in a sense makes it inconvenient for road trips, but obviously that didn't dissuade you from trying it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, um, it, and I think that's where I found the bug for electric cars because it, it was the kind of combination of me. I'm, I'm a quite a competitive person by nature. So pushing things to its limit and trying to do something that's what's perceived as not possible or what's perceived as, a, as too much of a challenge, I guess, is what drives me in that sense as well. But taking a vehicle and, and like, like I did before, and I drove a first generation BMW i3, that was very similar to the, the 24 kilo leaf, about a 60, 70 mile real world motorway range at normal speeds. So I drove that from from Aberdeen to to Edinburgh, Edinburgh to Monte Carlo, and then back. That trip was something in regions of about four thousand, five thousand uh, miles, and I did that in sixty hours with a co-driver to be safe. And and that was just to kind of go, hey, let's let's test. I want to I want to understand how difficult it is to drive into Europe. Okay, I like Monte Carlo. I love the Formula One circuit in Monte Carlo. That was always been my favorite. Let's go do a lap of the circuit and come back. And we'll show that on social media. We'll share it on social media to let people see a, 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 an electric vehicle put into a real world situation. Okay, it's extended an extension on that because nobody's going to do that in 60 hours themselves, but it's putting it into a, let's go into Europe for a holiday or a road trip and let's take an electric car. And this is just how possible it is to do. And in some cases, if there's challenges, which we had a challenge along the way, we showcase that too, because it's not about showing everything that's good you've got to show the negatives as well if there is a negative and how you overcome that negative as well and as you say pushing these vehicles to the limit like that really does demystify uh myth bust i guess in some way people's people's reluctance because they want to go on a weekend holiday or something and they think they can't do it in an electric vehicle yeah and and the great thing i guess now with with the ranges that have become, I mean, obviously we're, we're in a different scenario with you guys in, in, in uh, Canada and, and the distances that you guys have compared to us here in the UK. We're a different, you know, we are a little bit different there, but 
but with the vehicles now pushing up to 200 miles of real world range, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not as an issue as, as what it was back in the day when I was driving 10 years ago, um, where you were driving, you know, 60 miles and having to stop every 60 miles for 20, 30 minutes and then you, you're on the road again. So now it's very much where you plan your route. Everybody generally has a breakfast stop or a lunch stop or a tea stop or a coffee break on their journeys. So you just plan that into your drive. And when you get there, you charge that 20 minutes to sit down and relax and have your coffee or your breakfast. The car's charged. The car's ready to go again. And, and so are you. You're refueled there. The car's refueled and you get on with your day. It's, it's, a, it's a lot more easier now as what it was 10 years ago. Right. Let's talk about your next big adventure in it. I dare say it's your biggest, and I'm not sure how many T-stops you're going to have on it, but uh, <laughs> this is the very ambitious pole-to-pole expedition you have planned. So tell us about that. Yes, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of a, a, a follow-on, a continuation from the adventure I did in 2017, where I drove, uh, at that time, a 30-kilowatt Nissan Leaf from London to Mongolia in, in 56 days. That was basically 10,000 miles in 56 days. Um, and, but after finishing that, actually finishing that journey, there was, there was only conversations in my head around what could be done next and, and what I, what I could do as a challenge to prove, to really demonstrate to people. I've demonstrated that you can go long distance, absolutely go long distance in a vehicle in countries without no charging infrastructure. But the myths are still there. And there's, and there's other myths surrounding electric vehicles, not myths. One of the challenges surrounding electric vehicles is cold is cold weather and the cold right. impacting on batteries, which you guys will understand quite a bit of in in, in Canada, and so what we here in Scotland. Um, right. So I looked at that and just thought, what can I do to challenge that perception and and tackle that perception and and tackle that challenge and maybe help find solutions around that challenge. Um, and so I got my head thinking, and I I love polar exploration. And I, and I got got my head churning more, did some Google Maps. I spent a lot of time on maps. I've got a world map on my wall and I'm looking and looking and I thought, hmm, I don't think anybody's ever driven from the South Pole. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I thought, yeah, nobody's ever driven from the South Pole up to magnetic North Pole you know, up, in, up in the Arctic region. I thought, well, could that be possible in an electric car? What's the cold implications on a battery? So I researched a lot more about that and realized you know what, this is possible. It's a stretch for the electric vehicle in, in, the pol- in the polar regions, of course. But outside of that, this a car, an electric car can absolutely do that journey. There's no question about it. It's just a question about what I can do in between the journey to help amplify our climate change, the climate change message and the awareness around sustainable lifestyles. And, and that's where pole to pole came from. So we're driving in our shell from South Pole to Magnetic North Pole some 17,000 miles across 14 countries. Um, and that will be happening in late December. Uh, sorry, in late um, 2022. Okay, so a year in December, essentially. Yeah, essentially, yes. And then how long do you figure it's going to take? I'm looking at around four months. And that is because the the journey itself is more about the engagement that we're going to do throughout the journey. It's not. This is not uh, essentially a rally or a race or anything like that. This is not a rush from start to finish. The only thing we're, we're only thing that we are very conscious of is in, in in the summer periods when we get up into into the Arctic, as you guys will probably be more aware than I am in Canada. But the, when we get into outside of the summer season, we can't be stretching too far outside of the summer season up in the Arctic. 
because of the, the sea ice melt and the way that that is currently being impacted by climate change. We will be driving quite a lot of the Arctic, northern Arctic route on sea ice. So we cannot afford for, for obviously for the, uh, the sea ice to be impacted too much by the, by the rising hot weather. So obviously, as anybody who goes even on an overnight trip somewhere, you have to pull up Google Maps or if you have the kind of car that has the map inside that shows you charging stations, charging stations are key to any route, this one in particular, because obviously you're going places where there are no charging stations. How do you manage that? So we've, we have on, on the project, the, for the polar regions, we have come up with and speaking to an, a couple of partners around some really ingenious charging solutions that will allow us to charge and take our a portable charging solution, taking it with us, um, allowing us to set up camp and charge the vehicles while we're stopped. Um, and, and that's going to be a combination of anything from solar to wind and, and other solutions that we're currently talking about just now. Um, and because one of the benefits we do have um, is the fact that it's 24, pretty much 24-7 daylight in the two, when, we're in, when we're in both south and northern, northern regions. So that's a benefit to us. But we're also in some of the windiest regions um, of the world as well. But in South and North America, we've been working very closely with a charging partner, which we will hopefully be able to announce quite soon, and and building a charging infrastructure through the regions. North America is obviously very, at the moment, very well covered for charging infrastructure, and so is so is Canada. And in South America, a little bit of a different challenge, and um, that's why we've been working closely with our charging partners to build a charging network, a true charging network across the uh, the highway network. And I guess the route will take you up, I mean, as you say, through South America, through Mexico, United States, Canada, up into the north. West Coast, is that the idea? Or will it be more Brazil side in South America and then kind of move over to the West Coast once you hit Mexico? We're, we're looking at more of the West Coast side because we've, uh, again, some of the conservation projects and some of the schools. And I will obviously put, always put a caveat because with the, with the current pandemic situation, because safety is, is the utmost of everybody I come into contact with, is, is we are looking at conservation and schools and university projects along the, uh, the West Coast side of things. So we're going to be going, going north on, on the east side and cutting across the west side and traveling through. So the only, difference we have um and the only uh that a lot of people are aware of already as well but i've been asked quite a bit about is the um the Darien gap which is obviously an area where we we unfortunately will have to be around like every expedition does um because it is obviously too it's unsafe and too volatile to travel through that region can you tell us what vehicle you'll be doing this in i'm, I'm assuming it's not your old nissan leaf <laughs> no it's, it's not my old nissan leaf no that's currently an amusement Currently in the transport museum, which is really great. It's just um, the Grand Bean Transport Museum that has got a future of future of vehicle um, displays. Probably the only museum that I know that is showcasing electric mobility and the future of transport as a mode, as opposed to the the past. So it's really cool to be in there. But in terms of the vehicle itself, at the moment we have we have a number of conversations going on. We will hopefully be able to um, again reveal some more exciting news. <laughs> In, in the coming months. But at the moment, yeah, there's, there's a number of conversations going on, which I'm pretty excited about. So, Certainly for an automaker, an amazing opportunity to showcase their vehicle, um, as you say, in, in a very sustainable setting. I mean, the fact, I, I'm assuming there's not going to be diesel generators charging batteries to charge the car. So, I mean, driving the EV is one thing, but that's just one piece of this whole thing. It's nice that you touched on that because 
it is it is very much about that. But I'm aiming for this to be the most sustainable expedition, pretty much in automotive history, or in, in fact in expedition history to a certain extent. It's quite a bold kind of claim, but it's it's uh, my vision is to try and showcase to the adventure world as much as the automotive world that your expeditions can be sustainable and it can be done today with technologies available. And also, if you need a, another solution, the technology solutions that are out there and the great thinkers that are out there, a solution can be developed. So we will be, we will not certainly not be using any any diesel generators or taking any portable generators with us across the trip. And it's something I didn't do on the Monga Rally either and, and any of the other expeditions. We'll be using as much energy from renewable and sustainable sources as possible. So there's going to be some pretty cool things pretty cool stops along the way that's going to um not only show how you can charge a car but show how our world is being powered um which is going to, so it's going to be really cool um but yeah in, in terms of outside of that and any any kind of uh carbon impact that we have on this expedition is we've got some a lot of kind of initiatives going on at the moment with regards to reforestation projects and tying in with that will offset at the moment we're looking at about five times the amount of carbon that we can potentially generate on this project we're looking to offset that by over five times and continue to do that as part of our legacy part of a legacy program how many people are going to go with you and on the team i mean i'm assuming you'll have a co-driver and then will there be a support staff with you yeah so there'll be there'll be um a co-driver with me which as yet is not determined who that will be and i will have a support team with me which in Antarctica and the Arctic, that will be Arctic trucks, who are who are basically the twenty years experience in Arctic expeditions. Good guys to have on board. <laughs> <laughs> they are indeed, and these these are the guys. I mean, if people, if you, any of your listeners um, have ever seen the Top Gear episode where they went to Magnetic North Pole, Jeremy Cox and the team, Arctic trucks were the guys behind that vehicle and the modification of that vehicle and the planning of that trip. So I couldn't, we couldn't be in any better hands. So they will be with us in the Arctic regions. And then I will have two to three other people with me in, in another in another vehicle. They will be in the Arctic trucks vehicle when we're in Antarctica and the polar regions. But when we're in South America and North America, it'll be me, my co-driver, and three others with me in, in a separate vehicle, which will also be electric. And those vehicles, those people are basically around basically social media, video and camera crew. Recording everything. So you seem like a pretty chill guy. I think anybody who kind of takes this on must be kind of... Uh you know, comfortable. But I mean, there must be things that are kind of keeping you up at night about this expedition. I mean, in, you know, what what's the concern? What are the what are your big concerns about the trip? Well, I mean, my, my brain goes through a number of things. I mean, uh, the I'm, I'm a generally, I'm generally a pretty chill out person as it is, and nothing much generally phases me. Um, but on this expedition, I'm looking, you know, we're always constantly thinking about um what happens if i'm in antarctica and we have no we have no wind we have no sun we the other solution that we have basically freezes because we're in minus 30 degrees so these are the challenges i'm focusing on quite a bit with the technology partners and some of the people that work with just now so looking at those solutions but then it goes down to outside of the logistics it goes down to purely being on the road and be mindful of some of the countries that we're traveling through because some of the countries in, in South America are, well, a lot of the countries are going to be absolutely amazing and the people are going to be phenomenal, but there are some, obviously some, some areas where it's not necessarily advised to hang around too much and we've got to be conscious of our security. And 
what keeps me up on that side of things is not necessarily my security, but the security of my team, my team and, and whoever that co-driver will be, because at the end of the day, those people and everybody that's on this project, their, their life is in my hands at the end of the day. So that, that's one of the big things that keeps me up, if I'm being honest. From your previous giant trip, 16,000 kilometers, as we say in Canada, um, in the leaf in Mongolia, what was your biggest takeaway from that? I think it's like with all these these trips that I do, and, and you'll hear this probably from a lot of adventurers when they speak, it's, it's the actual thing that you're setting out to achieve actually becomes so insignificant in the end. It's it's the things that happen along the way and the people that you meet that are actually the most important part of it. And, and I think the takeaway, the biggest takeaway I had from the Mongo Rally was actually what I learned about myself as an individual and how I could become better as an individual because there was this couple of scenarios on the trip where i i we met people we, we were showered with with food and accommodation and and so so much kindness there's uh the first situations when we were in a real we have to just rely on a two-pin plug for charging our car and people's kindness was in turkey and we we got showered with like a lot of kindness from from one people one person just before the border and they gave us gifts and everything and, and they gave us big pots of tea because everybody drinks tea out in out there and i thought this is great it's amazing it's lovely and then but on the way to the border i thought hang on a minute this stranger has given me this packet these packets of open tea to take across the border there's something <laughs> not right with this and you know your paranoia just kicks in and and every time it was absolutely fine and and at first i just thought hey it's natural you know i get yeah, this is natural but i realized no, it's actually maybe not. It's, it's great to be safe and great to think about these things, but not to also think bad of just people's kindness. I, I thought I learned so much about myself and how much I can be such a, a kinder person, a more genuine person towards other people in, in need and, and in situations where they need some help. And, and that's probably the biggest takeaway I took away from, from that trip. And I think it's the reason why I love doing what I do because it's the people. And it's the cultures and it's the, the kindness that people show to you just always blows me away. Yeah. Kind of rekindles your, your belief in mankind, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there is so much kindness out there in the world and, and it's hard to, it's sometimes easy to, to lose that thought um, and, and lose that perspective, but we are kind people at heart and then it's, and it's great to see it still. Yeah. And I think also people love the concept of adventuring. So they must, when they see you, they just must think this is crazy, but also amazing. And all they want to do is help you get to your goal. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's kind of, again, one of the reasons why I do what I do, because it's adventure for me. It was it was watching The uh, the Long Way Round um, with Charlie Bowman and Hugh McGregor that actually I loved. And, I, and that captivated me. And I just sat there and I thought, but these guys can do this because they are who they are and you know everybody will give them what they want and then i realized well no they're just two guys who decided to do something because that's what they wanted to do and and that's what then i turned me to then go and think well i want to do that that's i i want to relive my passion and uh, for adventure and travel because i love travel so much so i use that as a tool to captivate the hearts and imaginations of people so therefore, everybody is so much more susceptible to learning new things if they if they are just captivated by what they're what they're watching. What was the biggest moment of range anxiety during that uh, Mongolian rally? Biggest uh, biggest moment. Um, we were in Kazakhstan, driving through uh, the west side of Kazakhstan, which is virtually no proper roads; it's all dirt and dust. We picked up a police escort in one of the areas, 
and they were taking us to uh, our next to a destination. They were convoying us to this destination because we were going to meet with a member of uh, the Kazakhstan government there. But I knew my route. I mapped it. I knew where I was going. I knew I had about 80 kilometers to go, which is fine for the range of the leaf. These guys decided to take their own way. And I was told we have 15 kilometers left to go. I had about 30, about 30 kilometers left in the car, about 15, 20 kilometers left. Uh, later, I was told we've got another, we still got 15 kilometers to go or maybe another 15. They didn't really know how, where they were going or how far it was. So basically we, I broke down just at the crest of the hill in terms of range. And we dropped down the bottom of this hill, this massive hill, and I coasted as far as I could until basically we we got to this village, and we basically then had to get uh, a tow for a mile and a half into, uh, <laughs> into our destination. Um, I was I was yeah a, a few a few choice words were being said about the Kazakhstan people and, and the police at that time. Yeah, I guess for them it was it, they were probably thinking, "What's the big deal?" Because they didn't really understand the concept of a of an electric vehicle at that point. Absolutely, and and that's all it was. It was just understanding the capabilities of the car. So, it's, but it was fine. How to explain that in a completely different language? <laughs> so, what do you hope to accomplish by doing these? Is it all about demystifying EVs, or is there something bigger at stake here? The combination. The first point, yes, is is demystifying all those myths around electric vehicles, so people can see just how viable they are as an everyday solution. But the bigger picture is to is to make a shift. Is to make a more rapid shift to educate and, and, and in, I guess encapsulate people to go out and go out there and say, look, if, if this is possible, I'm going to go and give an electric car a try. Um, and then and engage with businesses and government to then make that switch as well, because, you know, vehicles account for 20% of them, of, um, of our emissions worldwide. Uh, they, they contribute that, that much to climate change. So we, if we can attack that, that's great. But then, the bigger picture as well is to take the adventure industry and the travel industry to start to become more sustainable because we can be, as a venture industry, we can be more sustainable in our adventures today. So hopefully they will start taking notice of this, this expedition and, and implement those changes within whatever plans they have to do. Final question. It's not about adventuring, but it is about electric vehicles. So in your mind, what will signal the, the EV adoption tipping point in countries like the UK or England, Scotland, Canada. I mean, where will it be when you say, aha, EVs have arrived? I think for me, we're kind of seeing it in some areas already. And here in the UK, I mean, we're seeing more and more vehicles becoming available for manufacturers, which I think is, is, was a, was a key one because there wasn't really availability, uh, that, for that long. It was a Nissan Leaf pretty much for a number of years, but now it's so much more. There's about probably about 30 or 40 vehicles available. Hybrid in some cases, but there's, there's a whole raft of electric vehicles available now. But in the UK, we're seeing a lot more vehicles. I'm passing a lot more electric vehicles on the road. Before it was few and far between. Now, I mean, I'm seeing Teslas and Leafs and um, Renault Zoe's passing me all the time on the road and multiple times and, and multiple cars parked in, in, in the car parks of electric. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's, it's starting to get there now here in this country. And, and, and I think that is the big tipping point where you're going into countries and seeing more and more electric vehicles, like rather than just the odd electric car, like you do when you go to Norway, um, vast majority of cars are electric. When you start seeing more and more cars on the road, and they're not the few and far between, um, that's when you'll see. That's when we'll see the tipping point. That's when we'll know we're at that tipping point. That's Chris Ramsey, EV adventurer and all-around crazy Brit. Thanks for joining us, Chris. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. It's been a pleasure to chat to you and your listeners.
As much as I love a road trip in an electric vehicle and plan on doing a few throughout Western Canada this summer, I certainly don't have the road war mentality of Chris. I can't wait to hear more about his pole-to-pole trip, particularly which electric vehicle he will use for the epic adventure. Seeing some of those renewable energy charging solutions on the polar ice caps will be fascinating too. To learn more about Chris's past exploits and to keep up to date on his pole-to-pole planning, visit his website at pluginadventure.com. That's it for this episode. Much thanks to my guest Chris Ramsey, producer extraordinaire Dar McWana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedinpostmedia.com. For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca, where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. You'll also be able to access a new series of virtual auto events called Driving into the Future. By registering, you can listen and engage with a virtual panel of leading figures in the Canadian and global automotive and energy sectors. Visit events.driving.ca to sign up for free. And be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode, and you'll also be able to listen to all the episodes from Seasons 1, 2, and 3.